Good morning, church. Good morning. My name is Pastor Scott. Super glad to be with you in uh, this series, Psalm 23, which we think is maybe the greatest poem that David ever wrote. Today, I bring the uh, third message to you. We're going very slow in the season of Lent. We're slowing down to hear from God. Today is the second verse, the third message. Uh, Let's pray and we'll begin. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this church, for your people, for the chance to hear from you now. And we pray, Lord, as the scriptures are opened, that our lives would be opened as well. That you would continue to reveal to us what it is you have for us, to be people of movement and rest, people entering into the promise that you've set for us, that our, that our lives would be lived in, in radical response because of who you are. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for this morning. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. So Psalm series, verse two, is week three. Today your title is simply the rhythm of movement and rest. We'll be talking about rhythm this morning, the movement of uh, the rhythm of movement and rest. And this is a bit of a false binary, a false dichotomy between either being people of movement or rest. But my hunch is in this room, many of us align in one camp or the other. We're either people that rest well or people that move well. And to no one's, you know, if you've been coming for a while, it's probably not a big surprise. I'm a bit of a mover myself. And so, you know, sometimes I don't rest until somebody makes me. Like sometimes it needs, you know, I need, you know, or we hear this, like I was sick, you know, finally, you know, like God just kind of made me lie down for a while. There was a season in college where it was like right near the end of maybe my sophomore year of school and, you know, finals and I was a young life leader and uh, finals ended and I took a carload of kids to a concert down in the Tri-Cities and the concert got over late. We drove, you know, through the night to get home and then that morning got up early to pack up, like just, just move, 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 move. It's a little bit of my wiring. I have to be careful. Driving out of town, I picked up my brother and my sister-in-law, and we left Spokane to drive home, truck full of my stuff, and just working like a dog, you know, and we left late in the day, and the sun's going down as we leave Spokane, and we get down to, you know, like the Maple Bridge, and we hit a stoplight, my brother's, you know, far right, my sister's in the middle, we're three of us in the truck, and they're talking, and the light turns green, and the truck doesn't move. They continue talking for a minute, and the truck's still not moving. And I look over, and I'm fast asleep at the green light. Like, I'd literally just fallen asleep at the wheel. Uh, that's, that's dangerous. So dangerous, of course. Like, a couple of years later, well, actually about a year later, like, I just would push myself and push myself and push myself. I actually fell asleep at the wheel, driving I-90, fell asleep, got thrown from my vehicle. The vehicle continued to roll, almost cost me my life. Like... If we move and move and move and think we never need rest, it can literally kill us. And in spiritual life, it can also steal all of our joy, all of the presence of the Lord, because we're so constantly trying to move, we can't rest in the promises of God. That's a little bit of how I'm wired. Now, in another camp, some of us get caught into this rest, which is a good thing, but we get bored in our faith. Our faith kind of goes for seasons where it's not activated. We're not speaking about Jesus. We're not experiencing community. We're, we're, in, we're stuck. And though the, the, re, you know, the move at all costs, oh, that's dangerous. I, I'm here to present also this morning that when we're in places where our faith isn't being activated and boredom sets in, it, it kind of lead to, to just a, a d- decay of our faith. We moved to Seattle in in 2003, and, and I had been moving and moving and moving in LA, and when we came to Seattle, I said, I just need to be for a while, it's good, 
You need to just be for a while, just show up. I mean, we were young life leaders and teachers and coaches and involved in the seminary, and we just needed to just slow down. But like, I, I don't do things halfway. So what slow down meant was like semi-retirement. Like I just, I just sat there and I started to gain weight and we'd go to church and I didn't know anyone. And I was bored in my faith. I thought what I needed was to do nothing. And that was killing me too. We would go to Bethany at Green Lake and my wife knew all these other women through Mops. Mops was like our gateway into the church because she was having community. And I would just stand. I didn't know, I didn't know a single person. And that's not being, that's not being cliche. That was literally, I didn't know anyone. And was so lonely. And if you're coming to church this morning and you don't know anyone, I, I'm with you. I've been there. You can't live like that forever. Like for me, that was a result of my choices to disengage from anyone. Like the coffee time afterwards, too fake, too shallow, I'm out. Men's groups, ah, those guys aren't like me, I'm out. You know, any kind of activity, I'm out. I made all kinds of reasons why I didn't want to enter deeper community and it was killing me. And finally, I just said I had enough. It's it's probably 2005, I went to a men's retreat at Bethany. I didn't know what else to do. I didn't know anyone. They were having a men's retreat, lake retreat, it said. I looked at the roster of guys when I checked in. hundred men, I knew one. It was the pastor, Pastor Phil, who was putting it on. Well, I was like, I didn't know anyone. And then again, I don't do things halfway. So I volunteered. They're like, hey, we need someone to help play music. I'm like, sure, I used to play music a lot. The thing with playing music is you need to play music. Like you need to practice so I signed up. I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll go to the men's retreat. I'll help lead worship. But I hadn't practiced. So I, I, I get there, and, you know, luckily there's, like, another worship leader, and I, I get the guitar, and, and, and some of the songs I'm okay at, but I hadn't practiced. And so we get into this one song I hadn't practiced at all, and so I'm literally, like, air guitaring. Like, we're leading worship, and I'm doing this, right? And these guys in the front row are like, we can't hear you. And I'm like, I know. <laughs> but I didn't actually. I was faking. I was like, really? Yeah, it's got to be something with the sound guy. Like, why do the sound guys always get blamed, right? Like, I'm just, I'm air guitaring. I'm faking it in the life of faith. And it was very emblematic of, like, I was stuck in this place of, like, okay, do I do everything and burn out? Do I do nothing and feel totally decayed and absence and my faith just being bored? Or is there a middle way? I'm glad you asked. That's what we'll be talking about this morning as we do Psalm 23, verse 2, that, that there's this rhythm in the life of a disciple between movement and rest. And it is God, the good shepherd, that provides for all of it. And some of you this morning are here this morning, you're just tired. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just go ahead and just lay my cards on the table Your shepherd wants you to rest. And some of you, your shepherd might be calling you to more this morning. And I don't know what the more is. But I know that for many of us, we're stuck in these camps between just all movement or or all rest. And the disciples' way is this third way between this rhythm of movement and rest. Now, if you're just joining us in this series, I'm honestly sorry. Because we've had a good time these last couple weeks. We did Psalm 23, 1A, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, and then B, 
last week, I lack nothing. And I just want to encourage you that if you ever miss Sundays, we have a website, we have, a, we have an app, you can listen to any of the messages and kind of catch up. Week one, we talked about Lord Yahweh being a word for both power and relationship. We said that we, if you look at Psalm 23, we don't have to be the shepherds, we don't have to be the leaders, we don't have to be the doers. We're the sheep responding to the shepherd. And we talked about week one, we said, we are in the, in the Lord's parable of 99 and 1, we are the one. Every one of us in the room, the Lord has come for us and provided for us and made a way. And we don't want to forget that. We don't want to be so worried about everyone else that we forget our own stature that God came for us. Week two, last week, we did B uh, of verse one. We talked about these words, I lack nothing. That it's God who calls us the beloved. We looked at David's story being the eighth son in the tribe of Jesse. And we said, we are number eight. Wait, wait, I thought we're number one, week one, we're number eight, week two. Yeah, just keep coming. We're going to keep the surprises coming. But we said in the life of David, we're like David. We are eight. We've been called, though we're sinners, and we've been qualified and set a table to worship God. And from that place of dependency, we can say, yeah, I truly don't lack anything. We, we told this story about Knott's Berry Farm and getting kind of stuck in the back of the amusement park and these little carnival games and how often we can focus on one part of our life and we miss the grand adventure. God has set this table. And of course, there's this little thing that you want God to, to work on or restore. But if we fixate on that, we miss the grand adventure that God has set before us. And this morning, we get to verse 2. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me by quiet waters. For, the, for sheep, there's a rhythm of both movement and rest, and it's all dictated by the shepherd. And like I said, some of us kind of tend to stay in one camp or the other, and the shepherd wants us to move. We need rhythm. And so our big idea this morning, our thesis, is that God has enabled us to experience the abundant life of faith, and it must be entered into as we move into this reality that the Lord provides, and we need both movement and rest to be his people. So let's look at these three main points in your bulletin. The first is simply this, that God in verse 2 of Psalm 23, it's God, it's the shepherd who provides pasture to enable rest. In other words, we have nothing to fear. That God goes before us as the good shepherd and he makes me lie down. You know, we're trying to memorize this in the month ahead. So we're doing just verse by verse. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He makes me. We've been looking at the ancient Hebrew. Do you know what the ancient Hebrew word for makes is? It's makes. Like, it's makes. It's the same as English. It's the same. God makes us lie down. And that kind of rub, wow, man, God, you know, like, I like to, I'm an American man. Like, nobody's going to tell me anything. Except for God is going to set, in this, in this psalm, God is going to tell us when we need to rest. God is the one who makes me. He, he leads me. The, the, as the shepherd, he is, he is he's forcing and creating opportunity. And, and that's, in, in the ancient Near East, that's exactly what the shepherds would do. The shepherds literally created pasture in order for sheep to be at rest. As we're reading this book about shepherds with our study group, and it's really fascinating because in the Near East, you know, from many places, they'll come, shepherds will lead sheep to a, an area to pasture, and, and if there's any obstacles to the grass, the shepherds remove that. And if there's infighting in the flock, which there often is, the, the shepherds will take care of that, and they'll separate sheep. And if there's pests, the, pests, bugs, uh, the sheep won't rest. And, and so the shepherds will literally rub oil on certain sheep so that they have the aromatic, you know, uh, kind of preventatives of any pests. 
If, the shepherds constantly are looking at what the sheep need, are enabling them to rest because sheep won't rest until they're provided for. Sheep won't rest until they're provided for. Sheep need rest, but they're so skittish as animals. They're so afraid they won't rest until everything is provided for them. And they need rest, but they aren't any good at it. Does that sound familiar? Oh, man. I'm like, man, I am a sheep. I am a sheep. And the shepherd, the shepherd here, he doesn't just coach and watch the sheep. The shepherd acts. The shepherd, the Lord, the leader, he's constantly providing with rest. In Ezekiel, God speaks of himself as a shepherd. Ezekiel 34, God, through the prophet Ezekiel, says, I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land, and they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in the rich pasture of the mountains of Israel. I myself, says God, will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Lord. With eyes on the shepherd, we have a chance to rest. And oftentimes, where we focus determines where, how we fare. What we focus on enables or disables us to rest. It, depending on where we're focused, it, are we able to focus on God, or are we focusing on any one of other places where we're going where we think might provide rest? It's amazing for me how when I'm lonely, when I'm stressed, when I'm discouraged, I turn to the best place to get filled up. It's called Facebook. And it's just, I mean, it's amazing. I scroll through other people's stories and it feels so good inside. I, I'm never envious. I'm always joyful. It's not true. No. Like we turn to social media sometimes to fill this void and it's, it's not actually what it's intended to do. Social media is designed by very intelligent people to make us hunger and to track what we buy and pursue. And so the ads that we come up upon can be targeted to us. We're constantly being marketed to. And so where we focus kind of determines how we fare. If we want more rest, says the shepherd, I want you to look at me. And like sheep, we can be so consumed with our fears, we, we have a, a, a discomfort with actually allowing ourselves to rest. And I don't know what you're fearful of this morning, but I know from walking with people in this church, there is so much fear about money and about intimacy and a fear of lack of control or a fear that we're missing out on life or fear that we're wasting something. And so I want to say to you, church, that if you're going to rest, you're going to need to trust the shepherd. That's how it's going to be. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. If our eyes are focused on Christ, we have more of an opportunity to rest because we can trust we have nothing to fear. Isaiah 26, 3 says this, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. They trust in you. This is that remarkable story in, in the Gospels where Peter finally wants to be full of faith and so he's going to step out of the boat and he's looking at Jesus and he's doing it. He's walking on water. It's incredible. And then it says he turns and looks at the waves. And what happens to Peter? He starts sinking. The sheep, if they're focused on their, on their envy with other sheep, no rest. If they focus on their past, no rest. If they focus on, on anything lacking, no rest. But if they focus on what the shepherd has already provided, the sheep can rest. So may you trust, church, 
you have nothing to fear. That the stuff that you can be consumed with, that instead we can turn anything we need as an opportunity for more trust. That the Yahweh shepherd who's making us lie down, he's leading us beside quiet waters. You see the verbs in these verses. It's, it's the shepherd who's making. It's the shepherd who's leading. And, and our job is just to trust that he's providing for us even as we rest. Even as we rest. There's a remarkable story in Genesis of Jacob. And Jacob's story is very, very hopeful for most of us in the room. Because he was called into something given to him through a family line that he never earned. And over and over again, Jacob tried to do his best, but often failed. But this amazing story is Jacob has, in in Genesis 28, Jacob has stolen the birthright of his brother. He flees. He has no idea what's going to happen. He ends up in a place named Bethel, and he's exhausted. And so it says that he grabs something at hand. He grabs a rock, and it says he lies down. In Genesis 28, you can read the account this week. And while he's lying down, while he's sleeping, he has a vision of heaven. And while he's sleeping, he sees heaven open up. And while he's sleeping, God speaks a promise over his life. And while he's he's sleeping, God says, I will provide for you. I'll provide land and children, everything in the ancient Near East that would have been significant to a man Jacob's age. God says, you will not earn this. I will provide it. While he sleeps. Now that's staggering. Because that's about the most un-American thing that we can imagine. How while we sleep can we be blessed? That doesn't make sense. Now we'll be blessed when we get up early and go to work often. We'll be blessed when we meet the person of our dreams and pursue them in the right way. Like we've got this narrative that our blessing is ours to create. And in the gospel story lived out in the life of Jacob, it's while he rests that God speaks a promise over him at Bethel. And then, which is incredible, he takes this stone that's been his pillow and he makes it a thing of worship. And I don't know what God has already given you, but I am tired of us at church being defined by what we want next. God has already placed in our hands provision for rest. Will we enter into it? When we take those things that God has already given and set them up as a temple in our life, God, you have provided for me. Even while I rested, even while I was a sinner, you came for me. I did nothing to deserve this. All of my life has lived in response to the cross of Jesus Christ. And I'm sorry, Lord, that I'm so mindful of what I don't have yet. But will you teach me, even in this season of Lent, that you've given your life so I would have life. Like the Jacob story is emblematic that he'll give us what we need even as we rest. We don't have to earn it. I met with this gentleman recently from the, from the Neighborhood Association in Shoreline. There's many of them, but this man was a great man. He's a, actually a Christian and talking about loving Jesus and starting a home church. And he's talking about the Neighborhood Association and the bike rodeo and being a blessing. And I mean, it was one of these meetings, if I could be honest, I didn't really want to have. And then I'm sitting there having coffee with the guy and I'm like, this guy's awesome. And yeah, we need to be more of a blessing in our neighborhoods. I want to be more of a blessing in this neighborhood, though I don't live here. This is where the church exists. And I was like, yeah, all right, I'm, I'm ready to sign up. What are the dues? Where do I go? Like, what are the 10-month commitment? Like, I'll do it, you know? And he's like, you're already in. I'm like, what do you mean? I didn't sign anything. I didn't do anything. He's like, you're here. You're in the neighborhood. You're in the association. All you need to do is just live into it. Show up. It was really freeing for me. Because so often in the life of faith, 
I put these stipulations of things that I think that maybe I need to do for God to kind of set the table before me. The Jacob story and the David story and the Jesus story is that we, we just, we've been granted new life. We've been granted everything we need to rest. And when we rest, we say, God, I do trust in you. Remove my fear. Remove my focus on that which I don't have yet and let me focus on you. We have nothing to fear. And that's because, our second point, that God is the one leading us to this place of provision. In other words, we have what we need. We have what we need. The shepherd is leading and bidding and saying, come, but sheep must move to stay alive. Like the reality of sheep farming is that static sheep die. They will stay in one place and eat the food and roll over, or they'll drink water that's not good for them. And so sheep trust the shepherd, but they must move. There's good grass and there's good water. This is the provision that God has given us. Good grass. I was having some laughs this week. It's a tricky verse now in Washington. Good grass. It sounds like a pot shop on Aurora. It's not. It's, it's green pastures. And it's a metaphor in the scriptures of a flourishing life. A good life that God has given us what we need. Ah, oh, that's impossible because I'm always mindful of what I need God to do next. But this shepherd, this good shepherd, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me live into the good life that he's already preparing for us. In Jeremiah 33, there's this picture of the good grass that God has set. This is what the Lord says. The people are in captivity. You say about this place, it's desolate waste without people or animals. Yet in the towns of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem that are deserted, inhabited by neither people nor animals, there will be heard once more the sounds of joy and gladness. That God is in the business of bringing us into pastures of joy and gladness. The voices of bride and bridegroom, the voice of those who thank offerings to the house of the Lord, saying, give thanks to the Lord Almighty, for the Lord is good. His love endures forever. For I will restore the fortunes of the land as they were before, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. In this place, desolate and without people or animals in all its town, there will again be pastures for shepherds to rest their flocks. He's leading us to good pastures, to green grass. He makes me lie down there. And then he leads me to places of good water. Good water. Quiet waters is maybe how your version of the Bible has it. Quiet waters are good waters. It's a picture of the source of life, of provision and sustenance. The reality with sheep is they won't drink from fast water because they're so skittish. And so given their own inclination, they will drink from still waters. But it's the same concept of when we backpack, that still waters breed bacteria like totally still waters with no movement at all. And so the shepherd leads them to truly good waters where there's just enough movement to scare them. Well, that'll preach. So the shepherd will lead them to good waters, quiet waters, yeah, but just enough movement to scare them, but to make it healthy for them. God is constantly in the process theologically of leading us to places of living water, of, of, of moving us in places of deeper faith where the provision of his life in our life is enough. And many of us can, can run this risk of, of looking at either the pastures or the water. We look at what God is setting us up, and we're like, I don't think it's good enough. And then we don't trust God enough oftentimes. Like this is what the prophet Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 2. My people have committed two sins. They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. There's two things going on. In the absence of thinking God has done enough, we've turned away. 
They've forsaken me, says God. And then they start digging for themselves their own wells of water. This is such a challenging and beautiful metaphor for our life of faith. When we stop believing that what God has given us enough, we start digging our own wells. We start digging our own you know, place. God, I know you're calling me to wait through this sickness, through this season of isolation, through this, you know, whatever it is that God is calling us through. You know, but instead of staying in that place, oftentimes we, we go into places of our own making. And Jeremiah says it's a sin. It's not God's best for us. We're missing the blessing of God's abundant life. God blesses us in this, in this kind of metaphor of water. Our bodies are 60% water. The earth is 75% water. So when, when this good shepherd is making me lie down in green pastures, when he's leading beside good, quiet waters, we can say, I can trust what you're doing with my life through the water. God, it's the water that I'm going to see your blessing. And that's where we start to kind of harken back to the Old Testament story. Listen again to Isaiah 43, verses 2 and 3. When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. God says, I know you just want to get around things, but I'm going to actually lead you through the waters. And it's through the waters that you'll be healed. And I will not forsake you. I will not let you drown here. I will not let you be in a place where you, you might feel like you're not going to be okay. But if you trust me, says God, I will constantly provide for you even as you're wet. And I, I firmly believe, church, that between this balance, this rhythm between rest and movement, that you know, I'm seeing people in the church that are stepping out in their faith that are saying yes to being foster parents, that are saying yes to, to, to giving of their time, saying yes to dealing with addiction, saying yes to you know, kind of staying in that hard marriage, saying yes to the hope, even if they're in place of singleness. Like I'm seeing people say yes, and I'm seeing the life being unleashed inside of them. It's like this reminder that we're going to need to get wet if we want to see God move. That as we kind of step into the waters, as we kind of step into the murky places where faith is needed, God says, yes, that's exactly where I want to bless you. There's this amazing story in the nation of Israel where they've traveled for 40 years through desert dry lands, just enough water to survive. And they finally get right on the other side of the, of the promised land. And what's there? An obstacle. Or the Jordan River. It's like, what in the world? God, we've waited for 40 years and now there's another obstacle and there's no way around this one. God says, you're going to have to go through it. You're going to have to go through it. Joshua 3 says this, when you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priest carrying it, you're to move out from your positions. You're going to follow God. And then all you, you'll know which way to go because you've never been this way before. So the Ark of the Covenant, God's saying, I'm going I'm the Ark to be carried into the water. And then he tells the priest, he says, it's not until you step into the Jordan River that the waters are going to part. You're going to see God move, but your feet are going to need to get wet first. I love that. It's super tricky and challenging. Because most of us are like, can I just stay in bed and God, you part waters and then I'll walk through dry ground. God says, no, the best rides are reserved for those in the front of the roller coaster. Step out and live into this get drenched life of faith. And God says, as you do, you're going to see amazing things. How do we know? Well, this was the life of Jacob. 
Like from Genesis 28 and being blessed, he goes and he, he meets a, a, a man. He meets, marries his daughter, married his other daughter. He's blessed. They live. He, he has to run because things don't go well for him. Jacob's life is a story in dysfunction. And he knows he needs to deal with his brother. And in Genesis 31 and 32, it says that Jacob takes all of his tribes and, and all of his, his shepherds and all of his wives and all of his kids and he kind of moves everyone across the river and then he crosses the river and in the middle of the night, it says he comes face to face and he wrestles God through the water, dealing with the stuff that God wants him to deal with. And he's changed by the experience. God touches his hip and, and Jacob will probably limp the rest of his days. It's, it's an amazing story. Happens through the water. It's that limp that changes his perspective because he's able, with God's help, now to face the difficulty. This is Jacob. This is the father of the faith that comes from Abraham and and Isaac and Jacob, later Joseph and David, to Jesus our Lord. And it's as we know our needs, as we pass through the water, that we're more able to trust that God will provide for us. The life of faith is not sitting on the couch hoping God does something. It's stepping out and saying, God, I'm going to trust you in whatever you've already provided for me. So we got to know what we need, and then we got to trust God with provision. My brother and I traveled Europe after college many years ago. We came to this little hillside town in the Cinque Terre, the five villages on the coast of Italy, and it was the weekend, so the banks were closed, and we had about 7,500 lira, which is about $5.00. And there's a little market. I mean, we were starving. And this was all the money. Like, no credit cards, little tap. I mean, what do you have? This is what we have. You know, 7,000 lira. This is what we have. So we walk in, and like, what will this buy us? We bought some potatoes and some canned tomatoes. And we went back to the hostel, and there was some rock salt. And we boiled potatoes and put the tomatoes on top of it and put rock salt. But we were so hungry, and we knew that this is all we could afford. I'm going to tell you, it tasted incredible. We weren't focused on what we didn't have. We knew what we needed and we knew what God had put in our hands and we're able to enjoy that fully. The Lord is already trying to provide you the pastures you need and the water you need. Will you enter it and say yes and live this life of faith trusting what he's given you right now is enough. And from that place of provision, from that place of rest, this is our third point, God invites us to follow him. In other words, we need to move We need to live into this call to be more like Christ. The old parts of us dying away. New hope, new faith, new joy. Responding in faith. Moving in this life of faith. Born from our rest. Born from our provision. We don't earn any of it. All of it given to the glory of God. This rhythm of rest and movement of followers of Christ is given beautifully in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. Paul says this in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. He says, for it's by grace that you've been saved. It's all God's provision through faith. This is not from yourselves. In case you didn't see it the first time, says Paul, I'm going to remind you, it is the gift of God. You can't earn any of the life of faith, not by works. No one can boast. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And to me, 8, 9, and 10 bolted on, it almost feels like a, like a paradox. We can't do anything. And yet, because we're God's handiwork, Jesus is calling us to enter into the water, to be people of his grace causing good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. 
We are recipients called to respond. It's not all movement and it's not all rest. It's us simply saying yes to what God has given right now in this season. Jacob in that story threw the waters, touched in the hip. He's such a coward. He had sent his herds up ahead and then his wife's up ahead and his least favorite wife first because they were going to be facing his brother and 400 soldiers. He was sure they were going to die. So he had the, the, you know, the just selfishness to put his like least favorite wife first. And where is he? He's in the back of the line because he's a coward. But after wrestling with God, after being touched and wounded in this encounter with God, we see in Genesis 33 this amazing and simple little passage where Jacob, he walks to the front of the line, past his favorite wife, past his next favorite life, wife, past the next one and the next one to face his brother head on because when you've been touched with the grace of God, when you've been through the waters, when you know that God is the one providing, when you've taken the things at your hand and turned them from obstacles to place of worship, you say, I can face the world now. So he's ready to die because he finally is living into his faith. But you know how the story ends. He's ready to die by his brother Esau. And his brother Esau comes running to him, grabbing him, falling on his neck, a place of intimacy in the Near East, weeping together. Well, you might not have a brother like that, but you do have a Jesus like that. He came for you. He's not waiting for you to earn him. He he, he came for you and he's fully capable of restoring and providing for you. And he does call you, come on out and pass through the waters and step out in the life of faith and no longer be stuck in places where you just move and move and move and can't rest. But if you're bored and disconnected, he's saying, enter in. And I don't know what next steps look like for you, friends. I don't know if it's being baptized in the month ahead or membership class or joining a volunteer team, but just there's so many places to step out and step in. And some of you are like, I think I just need to rest. Well, then you need to know that God has got this. And while you rest, he wants to provide for you. Everything is a response to God's transformation in our lives. Our job is to respond. So respond. Easter, 1999, several months before getting married, I knew, like, I had said yes to Jesus four years before, and I had waited on baptism because I kind of had this false notion that I wanted to be better before I entered the waters. So Easter weekend, we talked this poor associate pastor instead of giving him the afternoon off, which I now realize he deserved. I'm like, hey, do you want to baptize me? And, and he said yes. And there was a small group of us that went down to the waters in Spokane River. My in-laws and my wife, and maybe that was it, my fiance at the time, sorry, and the pastor. It was snowing on Easter weekend in Spokane in 1999. And as we walked into the waters and you took my breath away, I was baptized there. And as I came out of the water, I couldn't stop crying. Because I realized in a moment the entire life of faith, it's all a gift. It's all a gift. And all I need to do is respond. I don't want to waste the gift. I don't want to strive in such a way where I'm always exhausted, not able to say yes to people around me. And so this rhythm of movement and rest defines us as disciples of him. May you be challenged and encouraged. The shepherd is already providing for you. 
Let's pray now. Lord Jesus, thank you for this church and this morning. We pray as we turn to communion that we're mindful that you are the good shepherd. You are the one leading. You are the one bidding us to come. You are the one providing. Lord God, we pray that you would speak a word into people's lives even now about rest or movement, about next steps to enter into fully the gift of which you've given them. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Today is Communion Sunday. In just a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. I'll ask uh, our communion service to their stations in just a moment. Communion is a time for us to just enter the waters of our faith, to kind of approach this table, which is open to anyone that wants to worship Jesus, and take some of the gluten-free bread and to dip it in the juice and be mindful that the entire life of faith is a gift. But as we take communion, we're responding in faith. Lord God, I want to enter in deeper Change me and make me more like you. On the night of which he was betrayed, Jesus broke the bread. He said, take and eat. And he lifted the cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant poured out for what? For forgiveness of our sins, all of us. And so as we get ready, I'm going to leave you seated. And the band will start to sing. And then when your heart is ready, go ahead and just approach one of the three tables in the front or on the side. And then after you take communion, you can remain standing as we close in song. Let me pray over our communion now. Lord God, thank you for these moments ahead, these moments of reflection. We pray that as we enter the waters of faith, Lord, you would meet us here. We thank you for providing your life for ours, your hope for our hope, your joy for our joy. May we enter into fully a life of movement and rest. In your name we pray. Amen.